Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to the program. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we have a program that you want to kind of sit back, grab a pencil and a notepad and take a lot of notes. My guest today, Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner, Rob Clement, and Ted Miner, Retirement Income Certified Professional. We're going to be talking about three subjects that absolutely you have asked a lot of questions about. Three challenges. We're going to talk about retirement income planning with three challenges and challenges that you find to be just common problems when it comes to retirement planning. That's Scott Jordan. Rob Clement's going to talk about identity theft. And I tell you what, it's rampant today, and you're going to get some ideas about what to do, what not to do. And then Ted Miner is going to close out the program with why credit and retirement planning and all that works together and how you have to make sure your credit is in good shape, especially coming out of this pandemic. So you do not want to miss the program. So let me I just I mentioned you guys' names. So. All right, I'll just do this. Scott, welcome to the program. Rob, welcome to the program. Ted, welcome to the Good program. Good morning, Jim. <laughs> Great to be here, Jim. <laughs> I mean, way to go, guys. Let's just kind of grab a cup of coffee and let's talk about this because I think one of the biggest issues that we talk about, and, and I want to start with you, Scott, challenges. I mean, we're talking about people now after the pandemic, they're going through the question, should I retire? They're coming back. In fact, Ted, you even mentioned somebody said if they – Make me come back and work in the office. That may be that that may trigger my retirement. That's right. Yeah, I've had I've had a couple of conversations where we're doing retirement planning, and they're saying, "Well, uh, I've got a decision. If they try to make me come in, I might retire early. Might retire early. So <laughs> yeah. that's becoming a big, you know. And we all know that. So going through that process is kind of uh, interesting for a lot of people. So there are some challenges. Now, let me talk, talk to you about this. Challenges. You're either in an accumulation phase, which is when you're putting money into your 401k and working that, going through that process. That's the accumulation phase. That's, even though you may think that's difficult, that's probably the easiest thing to do. When it gets really difficult is when you're in the distribution phase because it's that unknown. It's that how long? How long am I going to live? You know, I got to start paying it out. It's not like you used to have a pension that would be paying you every month. No questions asked. You didn't have to think about it. You just came in. And when you died, your spouse got some portion of it. It's different today. You got the accumulation phase and the distribution phase. A lot of complex decisions that have to be made. So, Scott, I'm going to lean in with you. What are some of the challenges when it comes to retirement income planning? Well, I think uh, I think one of the, the things that you just brought up is an important point to bring out. You know, retirees of the past could count on, you know, Social Security along with a pension. We used to call it the three-legged stool, the Social Security, the pension, and then the, the personal savings. They could count on that pension to supplement their Social Security and, and count on that kind of fixed income payment. But those have largely been replaced. Those what we used to call defined benefit plans have largely been replaced with the 401k or the defined contribution plan of today. So 
essentially that that worry-free guaranteed paycheck retirement has been replaced with kind of a worry-filled do-it-yourself you figure it out retirement <laughs> that's i like what you said that <laughs> worry-filled <laughs> do-it-yourself because really it's taking the pressure off of the company accumulating dollars even right. though they charge right. you you had to set but the pressure is no longer on the employer you're now contributing to your 401k self you know your defined contribution and they may be matching it but you have to make all the decisions of where it's invested and all right. those issues. Whereas that used to be managed by that professional, and they just guaranteed you a certain income stream. They worried about the investing and, and how they were going to provide that income stream. Now it's up to you to do that for yourself. And, and that can be stressful. That can be stressful for a lot of people. Uh, it's kind of compounded by the fact that most of the information out there is focused on accumulating assets versus the distribution of assets. You know, another thing is that they don't know how to equate the two. Right. You know, one of the questions that I like to when I'm when I'm sitting down with a client, I will ask them. And it a lot of times it depends. The answer depends on the, the economics. But I'll say, is it more important to you to have a sixty thousand dollar a year income stream or would you rather have a million dollars in an account? And I just kind of sit back and listen. And, you know, <laughs> for them to think through that, because and, and the reason I came up with those numbers at one time, sixty thousand dollars, a person that was sixty five and a million dollars was about the same same amount in, in financial planning. So it was interesting to hear right. whether, buddy, that income stream was a lot more important than the lump sum or whether they knew how to equate it at all. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, one of the things that I've seen with, with uh, 401K providers is they're starting to have better calculators that help people understand that concept a little better because most people have no idea how much income they can expect off a million-dollar portfolio or, or whatever that accumulation value is. So I think that, you know, it's, it's on us as an industry, we're doing a little better job of educating people, and I've seen the, the 401K providers put a lot more information out on their sites about that to help clients and, out. And when they look at that, that number they've never dealt with that number before in their right. life right they think a million dollars that's a lot of i mean really no, it sounds like a lot of money <laughs> yeah it does so yeah now in the accumulation phase there's a lot of information out there now in this distribution phase you're talking about the calculators are there but people sometimes it's almost i get the feeling now just say this to you i get the feeling that sometimes people just kind of think well when i get there it'll all be okay <laughs> and then as they get closer, they start to get anxiety. Exactly. You know, we help people through that transition a lot, and it's very stressful for most people going from that, you know, that paycheck coming in every month to all of a sudden I have this big pile of assets. I have to figure out, A, how to take an income, and B, how do I make this last the rest of my life? And that's that can be very anxiety-provoking uh, and, and stressful for people. We had someone in the office yesterday that, mm -hmm. you know, in their 50s, that they were trying to make decisions, and it was very difficult for them to think about that distribution phase. Right. They're still in the accumulation phase, but they were holding on to dollars for some things they were trying to do. And it was, and we walked that through with them, and yeah. I think that's important. So let's start with some of the risk. I mean, when I talk about the challenges, maybe not risk, but the challenges that we're talking about that people need to be sensitive to, to help us define those, Scott. The first one that I would bring up is longevity or longevity risk. You know, one of the things that makes planning for retirement hard is we really don't know how long we're going to live. There's, there's plenty of averages and numbers out there and average life expectancies and things like that, but it's very challenging to know exactly how long we're going to need this money to last um, and then try to decide, okay, what's reasonable to take out of this, this lump sum of money to make sure that I don't run out of money. People are living longer today. 
you know, life expectancies are growing. So it becomes very important to to consider longevity risk in that. You know, I always say averages averages are guaranteed to disappoint half the people out there. So <laughs> half the people are going to live longer than the medium life expectancy and half aren't. Now, I, like that, I, I hadn't thought about that. Let's see, which side am I going to be on? Well, it depends on, it depends on what, you know, living longer. That's, that's great news, that's great right? great news, yeah. Well, it is also expensive. So. Exp- it is expensive. Now, you know, you talk about that, but, but people today, it's amazing when we talk about living longer, everybody says, I just don't see that. You know, I mean, they like to think about that. I like what you said about the average, yep. but but people don't think. And yet, when I started in the business, and I won't talk about that, you don't say a word. What year was that? No, no, <laughs> that is not important, but it's been a long time. In yeah. 1900. Okay, yeah. give it up. Give it up. Here's the thought. When people retired at 65, if we could re- get them as their pension, that's why pensions worked. Right. Because it was a short right. period. Of, if they got to 73, everybody was happy. Yeah. Today, what's that age? Well, I mean, we, we plan for at least 95 now. And, and really, I mean, we have a client that last week turned 100. 100. So it's a reality. It's out there that you do have to plan for longer lives. And that's why pensions had to go away. You could not hold and accumulate. The, so it puts all the pressure back to that accumulation phase. That's really why you're talking about longevity. People have to think about the fact that they're going to be 90. Somebody in the family is going to be 90. So... What you're telling us, I think, Scott, is the reality of some of the challenges is looking at longevity risk and being serious about it and being serious about it at 35, not 65. Right. And, and, that's, and the thing about longevity risk is I always say it's a risk multiplier. So you think of all the other risk you may face as a retiree, whether it's market loss, you know, health care costs, all these other things, they're multiplied by longevity. The longer you live, the more likely you're going to have health care costs, market market downturn. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about, because you just mentioned it, that multiplies, and one of the things is your the return and how the sequence of returns can affect your portfolio. So when we come back, that's what I want to discuss. And, and I think it's important people know challenges to a retirement plan. We have a PDF. I'll talk about that later that we're going to make provide it for you and make it available to you. It's free. So I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. You just tuned in. We're list, you're listening to KWAM Mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the Mighty 990. My guest, Rob Clement. Scott Jordan, Ted Miner, we're talking about three critical subjects, identity theft, and then Scott's just walked us through some challenges to retirement planning. He's going to talk about a specific in just a second, and at the end of the program, we're going to talk about if you've got a problem with credit, we're going to show you how to get out of the problem and uh, work your way through that process. Very important for a lot of lot of reasons. So, now Scott, when we broke took the break, I, we were talking about some challenges, and the first the first one you talked about is longevity, and I, I know people don't think about that, but it has become a bigger issue just simply because in the accumulation phase, you've got to be engaged, you got to think about what you're doing. 
and don't wait till all of a sudden the distribution phase to try, try to fix the problem. But there is an issue about sequence of risk. You mentioned that before we took the break. Explain that to us. Yes, yeah, sequence of returns risk. So <clears throat> when you retire and start taking income from your assets, average returns are not near as important as the order you s- receive those returns. So two hypothetical uh, retirees can re- retiring in different time periods can experience dramatically different results based on the order that they get those investment returns. Even if they're taking the same percentage withdrawal rate and they have the same average rate of return. Uh, For example, losses either right near retirement or early in retirement matter a great deal because as you're pulling money out, there's less there to participate in the eventual recovery. So one of the things that we have to educate people on, because you always hear these average numbers that the market does, well, the order that you receive those numbers is very important. Like I said, you can take that same average, that same withdrawal rate, have dramatically different outcomes based on those You know, numbers. you'd mentioned that because we use a number, we kind of call it stressing the portfolio, yes. stressing yes. the portfolio using a very low number. Yep. We talk about a 4% return right. against a 3% inflation. We've actually seen people make presentations or use numbers that are much higher than that. I mean, right. much higher. And we get a little concerned about that. It kind of leads that person that's thinking about retirement in that accumulation. Well, if I make higher than 4%, and again, what you're saying is you can, you can, but over a long period of time, just using a more conservative number is a whole lot better for at least your expectations can be managed. Using a conservative number, we also run, I don't want to get too technical, but we also run what's called a Monte Carlo analysis that changes those sequence of returns and runs a bunch of different hypothetical scenarios. So we like to look at that too, because even even assuming a low rate of return, that's still an average, right? You need to look at, okay, well, what if I experience three negative years right there early in retirement? How does that affect everything? Because that can be dramatic. One of the things I've watched you do, not only with the sequence of risk, is the reality of what inflation can do to a portfolio. Absolutely. And that's so critical. So you have to do, when it comes to the distribution phase, there's a lot of thought process that goes into it. Not just, uh, okay, I got X number of dollars. Back to your million dollars, Ted, and 60000 which I thought was a great idea to help somebody to think. But the reality is there's a lot going on into the distribution phase that cannot just be assumed everybody understands. Right. And, Jim, and, and going to the same thing, when you talk about inflation, a lot of people today really haven't dealt with inflation and don't know uh, about inflation because it's been so minor for the last 20 years. That's a great it's point. It's just now starting to really kick itself up. And it know? could get, you know, it's, we don't think it's going to be sustainable, but it's going we to, we have to begin to think about it and begin to deal with it. It's part of that distribution planning process that everybody needs to think through. All right, let's be, let me get this, you know, because Scott, I want you to get into this. The idea behind a lot of spending and cost and just this, you know, the idea behind that, a lot of people think about it. But dive into me because medical expense at this phase can be devastating. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different unexpected expenses that you have to plan for. But medical expenses are, are probably the most dramatic and something that a lot of people haven't put a lot of thought to. When you look at a healthy 65-year-old couple, you know, living to average 87 male, 89 female, they're going to spend over 600000 over their lifetime in medical expenses. Wow. Now, think about that for a minute. Wow. Let that sink in. And and then when you factor in— I'm trying in, to let that sink in. Right now, I've gotten <laughs> sick over it. You know, yes. that's a lot of money. That's a very— it's an And a lot of people have to money. understand that's, that is a— 
That's not something you just pulled out of no, the sky. No, those, those, are, those are averages that come from HealthView Sciences' 2019 study. Um, and then you factored in long-term care costs. That's another one. You know, Genworth's 2020 cost of care survey, home care roughly about $53,000 a year. If you have to go into a facility, you're looking at more like $90,000 a year. It can add up very quickly. All right. Anything else that you think is important that, is, that if you're getting into this distribution phase, you're getting into where you're now in retirement that you should be sensitive about? I think you have to think about death of a spouse, you know, because most people are relying on two Social Securities when they get in retirement. And if one of those spouses passes away early or, or any time, you're going to be you get to keep the higher Social Security, but you're going to be down to one Social Security. So that's, in, that's important. That's incredibly important. And then and this is a big one, and and the the bad advice, fraud, and theft that can that can wreak havoc on any good strategy. And we see that happen. We see that happen. Bad a lot. advice People being get, getting making some mistakes financially, getting yeah. some buying some things maybe they shouldn't. Fraud that can actually be a family member. That that can be, and it actually increases as cognitive abilities decline. We see this all the time, and we do see it a lot with family members. Well, I'm and glad you mentioned that because okay, Rob. This is your part of the program, because if he's telling us that we've got that issue, you're going to talk about identity theft. And before I ask you any questions, I want to make sure everybody knows if you would like a copy of the PDF, Five Ways to Stay Confident in Retirement, all you have to do is simply go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document. If you'd like to print it out, just download the document, print it out. It's yours. It's for free. Five Ways to Stay Confident in Retirement. Identity theft, fraud. All these issues, Rob, tell us what you think. What is identity theft that you see in the seniors? You do a lot of counseling with this. Well, first of all, thanks a lot to Scott and you and Ted because uh, you really, really brought out those challenges that seniors face as, as we move toward retirement. And now as we look at this, there's another challenge. All of a sudden, somebody is acting like they're us. They've A thief has identified themselves as us, and they have stolen something from us. They've stolen our identity, and they do that by stealing, sometimes it's our Social Security number or it's other personal credit card information, and they're acting like us. And so what we're going to talk about now is how and what we need to do to be aware that there may be somebody shoulder surfing. How, how about that term, shoulder surfing? I like that term. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> well, that's just what it says. <laughs> what is it? Shoulder? Someone's looking, looking over, over my your shoulder. shoulder. You're at the supermarket line or you're at a checkout stand. And all of a sudden you don't realize it, but someone's looking over your shoulder and they are looking for, did you just give your credit card number? Did you give some personal information? And they're collecting that information on you. So you have to be careful for shoulder surfers. Shoulder surfers. Okay. Yeah. That's something I got to pay attention. I just thought that was the person that was <laughs> yeah. breathing, made it up. breathing <laughs> down my neck. <laughs> Too close. Hey, distancing, distancing. Yeah. I get that, though. And so many times when you look at this senior center, they're not thinking that way. I just had something happen yesterday. I was on a I have to, I shouldn't, I'm not going to say the company, but all of a sudden it was all recording. I never got, I spent an hour on the phone and never talked to a live person. I don't want anyone to go there. Okay. I'll just leave it alone. But all of a sudden they came on and said, what's your social security number? And I went, holy mackerel. How do, what do you want my social security number for? And it was a recording and I thought, nope, hung up. And that was it. I mean, it just happens and you don't even realize it's happening. And I'm going, uh oh. What how, you know? How can I avoid that? That's one of the five most common ways that people get that identity theft is stealing your social, social security, security number. number. Another way they get it is they are hackers. 
There's folks that are hackers out there. And how many of us just in this last week have opened the mailbox and we've had, you get this free credit card or come on in and get your new credit card? Right there, you have to be careful. You have to shred those things. Oh, that's so important. So let me say this. When we come back, I want you to talk about what are some of the warning signs of identity theft. I think people need to understand what to look for, what's happening, and why it's happening. So that's important, Rob, when we come back. Some warning signs of identity theft. If you just tuned in, my guests, Rob Clement, Scott Jordan, and Ted Miner, we're talking about subjects that you've asked us about, stuff that's important. I mean, absolutely. Identity theft. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest today, Rob Clement, Scott Jordan, and Ted Miner. We're talking about specific subjects that you should be taking notes about. You've asked questions about it, whether it's challenges to your retirement plan, identity theft, how to avoid it, and of course, how to restore good credit. Why is credit important? Why is your credit score important? We're going to find that out in just a few minutes from Ted Miter. But Rob, really, one of the biggest questions that we think, I mean, I understand, what are some warning signs? I mean, if my identity, I've had my identity stolen. My, my first warning sign was a guy in Washington State buying a car in my name. He did. Yeah. He couldn't pick a better name? Well, he you know, <laughs> he, he could have picked better credit. <laughs> and then, you know, it was like, two, and of course, we stopped that. And then all of a sudden, you know, two weeks later, somebody's buying a house in Houston, Texas in my name. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, and I'm not making this stuff up, guys. I'm telling you, it's serious. And so I had to go to all three of the, you know, the big deals and work with them. And for two years, I tried to buy a suit one day and they said, hey, we'll give you 20% off if you'll get one of my credit cards. I thought, okay, fine, and no problem. So I said, sure, and I signed a paper, and I went home. I got a phone call back. And said, well, your credit, you can't, we can't do it. Your credit's on hold. <laughs> I'm going, and it's like you don't have any good credit, you dummy, you know. But the, the reality was, no, it was on hold because nobody could access credit for me, and I had to go call the company, tell them the situation. Of course, they finally let me have the suit, but that time I gained so much weight. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality, it was like, this is serious stuff. Everything comes to a grinding halt that when you've got your identity has been stolen, you've got some problems, and you've got to face it. So what are some of the warning signs? Right? Well, you mentioned one of them. One of them all of a sudden, if debt collectors so start if calling you, debt collectors, all yeah, right. if debt collectors start calling you and they say you owe something and you have no earthly idea where that came from, that's a sign. That's a warning sign right there that someone may have stolen your identity. Secondly, what do we all have in common? We all have to file our taxes. And you file your taxes with the IRS like the rest of us do. Now, Jim, you may be filing your taxes with the wrong people, okay? So, <laughs> I'm not but, going there. <laughs> but I no, still, if you file by the way, your nobody ta- ever figured out how my identity got stolen. Nobody ever was able to give me what I had done 
that that you know and maybe it was the shoulder guy I don't know yeah. but it just it did and I mean and and I'm not making this up guys this is not for you know just to talk about I'm serious and it was very time consuming to get it corrected absolutely and the way to get it corrected is you do start with looking at your credit report and making sure there's not unusual things on your credit report that would indicate that someone has uh, all of a sudden had identity theft on you. So credit report, and then it, I know you can call that because I had to go to Equifax, Experience, TransUnion. I had to talk to their fraud people. I had to right. go through all kinds of things to fill out. A dear friend of ours that works, dear friend of mine that works at Equifax, helped me out on this uh, years and years ago. His dad did when he was uh, dad was alive and it was it would really help because i didn't have a clue what well you did the first thing right you acted quickly when you tried to get your suit and they uh, with the credit card and they said i'm sorry it's not going to go you that you can not have a credit happen. card so you acted quickly that's one of the first things is don't delay act quickly secondly once that happens it's not bad to contact your local police department just let them know i believe there may be something going on here and i want to file a report in regards to this so that's number two and the other thing is you want to watch, watch out for any kind of tax fraud that's out there that could come up or tax-related areas that come up. So those are typically the big three areas that we want to watch for as, as warning signs and what we need to do to uh, make sure that we're not being. Rob, would you, I mean, I would say to everybody that it's, it's critical not to put off, I mean, respond quickly. And, and get involved and make sure you see the local, you know, the police department, the IRS, the fraud departments of the three major credit agencies. Um, is there a way for a customer to go and get a free credit report to find out? I mean, I know there is. You can Absolutely. Go. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing you can do if you're on the World Wide Web, you can use the annualcreditreport.com. And I know we're going to talk more about that here shortly, but that's one of the things you can do. Is you, And everybody gets a free credit report. Every year. And you One, should go and do that. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Hey, Jim, uh, about that, let me just say something quickly. You know, you ask people to get a pencil and paper when they sit down, and they really need to write that down, annual credit, annualcreditreport.com, because if you go onto Google and you Google free credit report, you're going to get all sorts of opportunities to go and get your free credit report. But most of the time, they're taking you through a credit card process to get you signed up for a credit card or something else. The annual credit report was set up specifically for the consumer. These companies, the ones that you mentioned a while ago, Jim, these companies make their money by collecting their data on us and selling that information to a creditor who's trying to give you credit. So this website was set up to give you access to a free credit report once a year from each of those three. And are they selling that information? Is that what they Well, are? many of many of your you know mortgage lenders and stuff will pay an annual fee to, to access everybody. Uh, smaller companies may go in and pay $25 charge to set up a, if you're going to set up a credit card. There's lots of reasons that they would do a credit check on you if they're going to give you credit to find out whether you're credit worthy. But this information that these companies gather is what helps calculate even the credit score. So you we'll, know, and we'll I get think, into that in a minute. I think people, <clears throat> yeah, we'll talk, I want to talk more about that too, Ted. I think people need to understand you may have a breach today and you may not realize that that breach is just sitting on somebody's computer system not to be used today, right. but when you're completely lulled to sleep, all of a sudden, bang, it surfaces two, three, five years from now because it's all collected and sold. And, and, I, and I don't think people put that in perspective. And I, we, we're talking to seniors. We're talking to people that need to be sensitive to it. 
Watch your credit. Check your credit. Have somebody review your credit. Have a third party, a trusted son, daughter, friend. Get somebody to go through that process with you so that and, – and I, you know what we see, and Ted, I mean, you're going you're gonna to talk about this, but Scott, we've just, we're working on this right now where we've got a, a, an 80-some-odd-year-old widow. The husband managed everything, right? and she's struggling through. She can ask questions, but she really sometimes doesn't even know the questions she's asking. Becomes very vulnerable, and that's where, you know, having somebody else to look over that situation and – you know, I always say the best defense is to look at that credit report often. Um, technologically speaking, even some credit card companies now do give the ability to look at that and monitor that on an ongoing basis. And that's your best defense. Catch it early if you're sitting there watching it all the and time. And paying attention. Yep. Jim, one of the things that we talk about with our clients is that uh, you go through phases when you retire. The first phase is typically the honeymoon phase. But what you all are talking about is the last phase of retirement. There's only going to usually be one person left, and we call that the solo phase. Mm. And it's so important to prepare people for just that because there so often is one of the spouses has not been that actively engaged. So it's very important to find someone that you can trust, a financial advisor, financial professional that you can trust, and make sure that they know all those details. What are your haves? What are your dues? What do you want to be? and how we can come alongside them and help them. You so know, that solo phase you know, that is important. That is so, so critical, especially when you've got the individual and there's no local family member. I mean, you're talking about a vulnerable person, male or female. Doesn't always be, as we talked about before, one of the biggest fraud cases in the state of Tennessee was in Knoxville, and they didn't want to file against this individual because they considered him their dear friend. And this person was fraudulently taking money on a regular basis. So we know it happens. That's buyer beware or, or consumer or all of us beware. We know it happens and then be sensitive about it. Rob, closing comments. What should we not carry with us when we're out? Well, There's some things I know you talk about a lot. Consistently, do not carry your Social Security card with you. You don't need to have that on you. Secondly, if you have a passport, don't have your passport on you. Thirdly, if you're using something like passwords, make sure your passwords aren't in a little folded piece of paper <laughs> in your wallet someplace. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> you got it. I'm guilty. Okay. Don't care your But check. I have to – how do I remember that password? You know, that's a problem. You think about it. How do you remember that password? It's always written down. It is sometimes very easy to find that, so be sensitive it to it. Yeah. Checkbooks, uh, obviously not that. Don't carry too many credit cards. Limit those credit cards you, that you have. Even gift cards. Limit those. So make it a thin wallet for yourself and watch your receipts. I know that I know somebody you actually had in their purse, their their checkbook all the time. Yeah. And and people listen to me, this is important. They don't take the checks that's next. They spin it up and take the check that's twenty, twenty five down and you don't even know it's gone. Yeah. Now they've got your checkbook. Right. And they've got the check. And so just be sensitive. That's so, so critical. Rob, great job. Buyer beware. Consumer beware. There is identity theft out there. There's people that want to take your identity and buy a house in Houston. Can you imagine that? (laughs) I'm serious. I can't make that up, guys. When we come back, we're going to find out because the pandemic has created so many problems with credit. What do you do to repair your credit and why is having good credit important 
in today's world. You don't want to miss that. Ted Miner will be with us in just a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to KWAM, the mighty 990. This is Talk Money. My guests are Scott Jordan, Ted Miner, and Rob Clement. And uh, guys, we're talking about an important subject you have asked us about. Ted Miner is going to talk about literally good credit. And, and Ted, we talked about this just before the program, before the break. Why is good credit important? Well, Jim, it cuts your cost. That's a loaded question. Well, I'll say something everybody likes to hear. It cuts your cost of getting money. Hey, I like it. Uh, Almost anything you do, I mean, when it comes to mortgages, uh, uh, credit cards, uh, uh, automobiles, anytime you're trying to loan money. And and I'll even tell you another one that's actually entered the fray, even in our own business. You have found out that some insurance companies, even for health evaluation, will look at a person's credit score to help evaluate their, uh, they tie that to their, their, their less stress in their life. They try to, they've got, they got access to health care. They, if they got a lower credit score, then historically from a statistical standpoint, they may get a better rating on their life insurance policy. Well, I, I've talked to some, some actually some, you know, uh, more uh, mortality uh, actuaries, and they literally will say stress and credit Affects mortality, no question. And that's something that's or debt. That's stress and debt. That has completely entered the fray here in the last few years because everything else we think of as a direct uh, uh, reason for you know if you're going to borrow money or get a credit card, then they want to try to find try to find out what your credit worthiness is, so they're going to check your score and those things go up. I, I I mentioned to you before we started. I just got a copy of the Consumer Reports magazine, July edition of June, uh, Consumer Reports, and it's got a uh, a section in it talking about you know how to fix your credit score. And one of the things it, it says that a person and these are these are decent ratings. Uh, uh, it differentiates a person say with a very good score. Now this is we're talking about the credit score right now of over say 740, which is good. Very good, they say. And then a fair score, which is uh, under 669, between uh, 580 and 669, they say that a person with a fair score will pay twice as much in interest over the life of a credit card, if they, if they charge something on a credit card, or a car loan. So they're paying twice as much in interest charges and 20% more on a mortgage. So it's very, very expensive if you have poor credit. Well, that's a, that's a big number. I mean, you think about it. If it I'm is. going to go spend a dollar for something, but I'm going to spend a dollar and a 20 for the same. You can spend a dollar and get it, and I have to spend a dollar 20. That's right. Yeah. That's, uh, but that's because of my bad credit. And, and we, I, we're seeing, I think, you know, there's been a lot of people saying we're well, paying off their credit cards, and yet the consumer is still running this debt mindset and it's a mindset sometimes that people just live with. And they say, well, I'm just going to, if you manage it, you know, that's great. But if you're not managing it, it creates the stress, the anxiety, affects your lifestyle, affects your, affects your life. And, and what it is, you know, a lot of people talk about credit. You know, credit, the credit, uh, re, these are credit reports that we talk about. And we encourage people to get it because what it is is basically showing your behavior, your credit worthiness. It, it, it's not necessarily talking about whether you got a million dollars in the bank. I mean, there are some uh, some people in the NBA and the play baseball professional athletes, and there's people that have tons and tons of money, but they have credit, terrible credit scores just because they're not very responsible with their money. 
what a credit when you get a credit report, it's going to show you things. And, and I would recommend people get uh, to get that annual credit report that Rob talked about because what that will do is it will show every credit card that's on file with each of the three different the companies. And I would even suggest that if you really want to get good, I was doing this at one time, I actually quit doing it, but every four months I would get a different credit report from one of them and I would rotate them because I get one free every year. So every four months I would get one from one of the, the, the three credit uh, uh, companies. And, uh, and so if something big was to come up, I was hoping it would show on the next report. Uh, most of the stuff is identical, but they do have they do have a di- little bit different information. But you'll see all the payments that are being reported on your credit cards. It'll it'll even show it may even show credit cards that you thought were closed out that are actually still open that they're showing open, and those would be things that you you would need to act on. Hang on to that thought. Annualcreditreport.com is That's what correct. you said. That's where you wanted to go. But now we're talking about some benefits, and I want to make sure people understand the benefits. And then I want you to tell us how to literally manage it, get it, prepare it. But the benefits, I think the benefits are important because not only from a standpoint of it affects where you live, the amount of house you can sure, purchase, yeah. that's critical, what you drive. The type of car you may I drive. Mean, sure. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and actually, you know, applying for a job. A Employers have right. the right, if they ask and, and you give them permission, to check your credit, and a lot of re- you know, a lot of employers are doing that. It just talks about again stress, anxiety, not managing your debt. How did you get to the? Maybe it opens a can of worms for you. You don't it, want to. It, it it does expose an issue, a part of your character. Otherwise, how do you handle something? Usually, it's involved with something you've said you would pay off. Yeah. You know, you're you're you you borrowed some money, you're going to pay it off, and it it shows the record in terms of what's being reported against that. Now, I will say this: the statistics are very high, and this also goes to managing that. The statistics are quite high that uh and i'm it's over 30 percent and it may be as high as 50 but i i just read it in a report but it's really really high that these credit reports have wrong information in it and so there is a viable process to go on and challenge things that you see on there that you question and it's a it's a every one of these reports have a have a process to go through they will take that information because that information is important to them they'll go to your creditor and they will say, what data do you have that shows that your information is right? And they'll actually try to res- help resolve that for you. Let's talk about that. I want to make sure that people understand that a lot of people are in debt because, as Ted said, just lack of discipline, not doing some things. Some people are in debt because of, I've seen a lot of debt because of medical problems that they've had, medical insurance, or they're trying to pay out of that. And I understand that, folks. This is not about just saying if you're in debt, you're, you know, you're not doing a good job because debt can come from a lot of different sources. But if you're trying to manage your debt and you're trying to walk through that and repair your debt, Ted, that's what I want to know. How do I do that? Now, I've been, you know, I've counseled tons of people through this process. Some are absolutely engaged and want to. Some, maybe not. But for that person who says, I want to repair my credit debt, my credit report, how do you do that? Well, again, the first stage is get that report and find out what it is that's being reported that's giving you this negative negative number. Annual report. Annual dot, credit report. Annual credit report dot com. com. Yeah. That's all you have to do is go there. Well, start, that's right. Start there. That's right. And it will give you access to all three companies that have, have your credit report. All right. I'm now looking at my credit report. And, and, and by the way, Jim, uh, maybe you remember the date. We've got a, a date where the government has protected people. We've gone through COVID-19. It's, There's a lot of people that have not been able to pay their mortgages, not been able to pay their rent. And we recognize that uh, the government has been protecting them uh, by law for a certain period of time. 
Uh, do you recall? I mean, it's like it's it's the end a of couple this month. of weeks. It's end of this month. Okay. June the 30th. Okay, June the 30th. End of this month, they're going to uh, stop that. So people who haven't been able to make their payments, they may end up as no fault of their own. They lost a job. We went into COVID-19. They may end up with their credit report having a lot of issues like that on it that they have to try to resolve. Okay, I've got my credit report. What stage is my end at this point? Well, uh, you're, you're in a fact-finding mission at that point. You're trying to find out what's true and what's not true. Okay, so I'm looking at the report to see what's true and what's not true. And, and, and when you look at that and you find issues in there, then you communicate with that, uh, with that credit report company by writing them a letter, there's usually on, online that you can go online and you can, they'll have a dispute area that you go in and you can dispute that. Uh, and uh, so if you see something like that that's been reported that you think wrongly, you need to you need to take that issue and they will get in touch with a creditor and try to help you resolve that. And that's Equifax, Experian, and again, of course, the TransUnion too. All three of those. Just write that down, folks. Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Equifax.com, Credit Report Assistance, Experian.com. And that you can do the same thing, and, and then, of course, transunion.com. But now when you get there, are, is this going to be something so complicated, Ted, that I'm just not going to know what to do? Well, it, I mean, it can be. It depends on exactly what it is. But a lot of times in your creditors, now let's say you have, have got issues that are, that are poor. Then, then I, would, I would engage my creditor. Sometimes you can get some grace there. And I would be up front. You're trying to help your credit. They may, they may lower interest rates. There's a lot of things they can do to help you there. So bottom line is be honest. Absolutely. Be honest. And be up front. Up front, transparent. Tell them you're trying to work through it. And don't try to be, don't be embarrassed. Just simply say, and, I'm trying to work through this. And you might want to say, I can't keep doing this if you keep charging me the interest you can, but I'm trying to pay everybody off. If you lower the interest charges, then maybe I can I can pay this and off And you quicker. can get assistance. Sure. You can may get somebody to help you with. Get yes, somebody, a third party, kind of to help you, guide you, push you along. But be serious about it. That's correct. All right, guys. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. I want to thank my guests, Scott Jordan, Ted Miner, Rob Clement. We have had a great discussion, guys. Thank you so much. Good being here again. Great to be here, Jim. (laughs) Thanks a lot. If you have questions for Scott, Ted, or Rob, you can call them at 757-5757. To find a copy of the PDF that was mentioned earlier, Five Ways to Stay Confident in Retirement, go to the Shoemaker Financial page, search for the document. All you have to do is, if you'd like to print it, download it and print it. It's free, totally for you. Five Ways to Stay Confident in Retirement. Next week, my guest is going to be Shannon Dyson, Michael Powell, and Karen Vogelsing. We're going to talk about updates in the Medicare enrollment. You don't want to miss that program and improving your financial literacy. That's Wednesday at 9 a.m. and again Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. If you have questions, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Thanks so much for being a part of this program today. We're every, every week helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.